Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection is the perfect Christmas gift for children, grandchildren, and godchildren ages 5 through 9. This new resource is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. You can also purchase Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December, Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection, 1-800-325-3040 or issuesetc.org. First Amendment rights are especially important when they are under pressure, when we are tempted to compromise those rights because of a crisis or an emergency. That's precisely when we need to double down and say, no, whenever we give up these rights, historically, bad things happen. Bottom line is the world always does the world in a much more compelling fashion than the church does. People should study the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and how it saved its seminary in the early 70s in a conflict that's called Seminex, because it might be one of the real examples of saving an institution that was going in the other direction. It was Luther's letter to the Christians of Frankfurt. They weren't quite certain about their pastor. He said, look, just ask him, what's in your hand? What are you putting in my mouth? And if he can't say the body of Christ, run. Don't stay there. Leave. Nonagenarians in Northern Virginia love listening to issues, etc., while lounging in their lazy boys. Okay, Google, play Lutheran Talk Radio. Streaming Lutheran Talk Radio from TuneIn. It's one of those arguments that oddly resonates with a lot of people, maybe even people who consider themselves on that line between pro-life and pro-choice. Compassionate abortion. Say it's detected early in the pregnancy that a child has some sort of birth defect, or maybe even the doctor is saying that there's a condition in this child that is incompatible with life. Well, should parents simply believe that diagnosis or ask for a second opinion? And even if that is the considered medical opinion about this child in the womb, does that mean the solution is so-called compassionate abortion? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. live on this Friday afternoon, December the 16th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to respond to arguments for compassionate abortion with Dr. Donna Harrison of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists. We'll go through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. Then we're going to discuss progressive public education with Josh Pauling, author of a three-part series for Salvo magazine titled Schoolhouse Rots. Dr. Donna Harrison is a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist. She's executive director of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists. She's associate scholar for the Charlotte Lozier Institute and author of a column for the January edition of the Lutheran Witness magazine titled Compassionate Abortion. Dr. Harrison, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. Glad to be here. How would you summarize the argument for so-called compassionate abortion? I think we have to ask who the compassion is for. Is it really compassion for the child to end that child's life? I mean, why would we end the life of a child, especially a child that has a maybe a short life to live anyway? Why would we cut short that, that time that we have to know that child? And the other half of that idea of compassion is a misplaced idea that somehow this is compassionate for the parents. But that's not what the studies show. Parents don't do better after an elective abortion than they do when you compare them with parents who allow that child to come to birth and to have a life for as long as the Lord gives them to the parents. So 
I think we we are assuming compassion where this is really not compassionate for either the child or the mom. You begin your article in the Lutheran Witness with a real-life scenario that ended, sadly, in a needless abortion. Tell us that story. Well, as I said in the Lutheran Witness article, I was made aware of a pastor who he and his wife were expecting a baby, and then in the middle of the pregnancy, an ultrasound showed what seemed to be a problem with the baby's development. But that problem, as described to me, was surgically correctable. So it wasn't one of those situations as described that where it needed to even have been a life-limiting diagnosis. Unfortunately, this pastor had been told by their doctor that this baby was suffering, that the baby would not be able to live, and that it would be cruel to allow this baby to come to birth. And according to what was described to me, that actually was not the case. So this puts the pastor and his wife in a difficult situation, and they decided that they were going to do the compassionate thing, which was to allow their baby to be killed. The really unfortunate thing is what they should have done was to get a second opinion from someone who actually treats these cases. And they didn't do that. And they, they chose to shut themselves off from any outside input. And that was really unfortunate. But what was even more tragic is that it's, it's highly likely that the baby may have been able to be surgically corrected in utero and then continued to live. So that was the essence of the story, but it was so problematic that I thought this was something to talk about because it shows the underlying assumptions that allow us as Lutherans, as Christians, to justify the taking of another human's life. And I wanted to explore that a little bit with the readership to say, you know, under what circumstances do we kill another human being? Because this baby in the womb is another human being. He or she is a gift from God. And under what circumstances do we take their life? So that's why I wrote the article. It was to explore this idea of do we kill people because they're not genetically perfect? Well, that would eliminate all of us. Can we really say that a child that has a physical imperfection is suffering, especially when there's absolutely no evidence of suffering for that child in the womb? And that was the purpose of the article. So let's talk about that concept of being imperfect. You say we all have imperfections. What do you mean by that? If you look at the genetic makeup of human beings, all of us have some places in our genetic makeup that are broken. That's just part of being alive in this fallen world. So what degree of brokenness allows us to kill each other? Is it because I don't have the same skin color as you? Is it because I may be short or I may be tall? Or what, What physical characteristics do we see that justify us being able to take another person's life or calling another person not a person? And this is actually where a lot of horrible genocide has taken place in history. It's when one group of human beings says, oh, to another group of human beings, you're not a person, so we don't have to treat you like a person. We don't have to extend God's love and grace and mercy to you. And this is a place where I think the Lutheran Church has a unique ability to speak to the issue of who is our neighbor and what responsibility do we owe other human beings And how can we defend that neighbor who is down and out 
who is a person because they are a human being, they're our, they're our neighbor. What do you make of this idea of relieving the child's suffering? I think that, that this has been a very emotional ploy on the part of the abortion industry, sometimes unconsciously on the part of doctors who don't want to deal with the reality of a human being who may not be genetically perfect or may not be physically perfect, to talk ourselves into rationalized reasons why we should end the life of this baby. It's inherently eugenic, and there is actually no evidence (laughs) that these babies are suffering. When a baby suffers, when a baby feels pain, they have the same responses that that you or I do. They withdraw from from a needle that's trying to poke them. Their heart rate increases, their stress hormones increase. And these babies who have life-limiting diagnoses, many of them, show no evidence of any kind of pain inside the womb. And I find it very interesting also that people who are advocates for abortion will say, oh, well, babies can't feel pain until almost to the time they're born. And yet when it comes to arguing for the elimination of human beings who have some kind of a bodily or genetic problem, disability, they'll say, oh, the baby's feeling pain. Well, you can't have it both ways. And the fact is that the baby who is genetically abnormal or who has life-limiting diagnoses has all of their needs met inside the womb. They don't show evidence of increased stress hormones. They don't show evidence of pain. So they're not suffering. The idea of compassion is powerful. We want to be compassionate people. But sometimes that compassion can be more for ourselves than for the baby. And I think it's important that people take a deep breath and step back and say, who is benefiting from ending the life of this baby? Are the parents really benefiting? Is this really compassion for them? Why do we think so? If you look at studies where, and this has actually been done, studies where parents decide to continue the pregnancy under a condition called perinatal hospice, which I'll describe in a minute. If you look at parents who continue those pregnancies and compare them to the outcomes of parents who abort, the the parents who continue the pregnancies do better by psychological tests. They have less complicated grief. They resolve it better. It's never easy. I've lost babies. It's not easy. And it takes a long time. But the, the idea that you have done everything that you could to take care of this child the idea that you've done everything that you could to take care of this child to the point where this child's life naturally ends is a comfort, even in that horribly difficult situation. And the alternative that, well, I cut my baby's life short is a grief in and of itself. And what these parents unfortunately will run into is they'll run into other parents who have had adverse prenatal diagnoses that maybe didn't turn out to be accurate when the baby was actually born. So let me expand on that a little bit. When my first son was born, he had a congenital heart problem that was incompatible with life. He lived uh, two years and then he died. When I was pregnant with my second son, I uh, had ultrasounds to look at my son's heart and a couple of ultrasounds that both said, yep, he's got the same genetic abnormality. He's got the same heart condition. So that was a very difficult pregnancy, uh, and I knew that he would die 
when he was born, but I didn't want to cut his little life short. So the day he's born, it turns out he didn't have that heart condition that they had diagnosed by two ultrasounds. And it's important to understand that medicine is not perfect. So to make a decision to end your child's life based on imperfect information, it's a grief in and of itself that is very, very difficult to overcome. That's why I say it's not really compassion for the parents, and it's certainly not compassion for the child whose life you end. Dr. Donna Harrison is our guest. We're responding to the argument for so-called compassionate abortion. When we return, does aborting pregnancies with fatal diagnoses result in less suffering for the parents? Please include the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. in your year-end giving. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call, 618-223-8385. For a year-end tax-deductible donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support at the end of 2022. Life Week 2023 with Lutherans for Life is coming soon. You're personally invited to join in celebrating that you are blessed for life from Sunday, January 15th through Saturday, January 21st, 2023. Go to lutheransforlife.org for more information and Zoom links. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org. Defending life from beginning to end. You're listening to Issues Etc. It's the days before Christmas and the list is so long of whom to buy what for, so I'll help you along. Ad Crucem has gifts for all budgets and tastes. Our service is quick for shoppers in haste. Pop over to the website adcrucem.com for gifts focused on Christ where it's always belonged. Reminders of his work for saints in this world and his promises eternal yet to be fulfilled. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Do you want your neighbors and community to see what you're celebrating this Christmas season? Why not display an outdoor nativity in front of your home or church? It's a great way to show others what Christmas is all about, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Check out the Outdoor Nativity Store at OutdoorNativityStore.com. Durable, affordable, and American-made nativities. OutdoorNativityStore.com. OutdoorNativityStore.com. Welcome back. We're talking about arguments against so-called compassionate abortion with Dr. Donna Harrison, Executive Director of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Dr. Harrison, does aborting a pregnancy with a fatal diagnosis result in less suffering for the parents? There's no evidence of that. And in fact, there's a lot of evidence to the contrary. There are studies that have looked at parents who have aborted their baby after receiving an adverse prenatal diagnosis and parents who keep their baby after receiving an adverse prenatal diagnosis. And when you compare those two sets of parents, the parents who keep their baby, even if the baby dies, do better by psychological tests than the parents 
who abort. And part of the reason for that is that the parents who allow their baby to live have the comfort of knowing they have done everything that they could do for their son or daughter. And the parents who have aborted will always be faced with that lingering doubt. Was the diagnosis correct? Did I do everything I could do? Maybe I could have had a little more time with my child. And in that case, you complicate already terrible grief that comes with losing a child with questions that have their own set of grief. So there's really no evidence that aborting a baby with a life-limiting diagnosis is any better for the parents than having the baby. And in fact, what we've also observed is that many times the doctors have basically assumed that these parents don't have any relationship with this baby. And this is just not true because moms are hardwired to bond to their baby. They're hardwired to care about this human being inside their womb. And these are most of the time pregnancies that the mom and the dad have looked forward to. So this adverse diagnosis comes and basically says to the parents, you can't be parents because this baby's not perfect. And that's in itself a kind of a, a dismissive grief that the parents have to face when doctors don't allow parents of babies that have a life-limiting diagnosis to be parents until the end of the time of their parenthood. Should expecting parents question a diagnosis of a condition incompatible with life? Well, yes. We know that medicine is not perfect. We know that medicine is not perfect. We know that sometimes the tests are wrong. And I'll give you a great example of this. The prenatal genetic testing that is done early in the pregnancy, the blood testing, it is actually a screening test. It's not a diagnostic test. What's the difference? A screening test answers the question, are you at higher risk of having a problem? It does not answer the question, do you have a problem? So unfortunately, there are many women who are getting the result of a screening test that says you may be at higher risk of Down syndrome or you may be at higher risk of this genetic problem or that genetic problem. And they're understanding that test to say you have that problem and aborting the baby. When in fact, two thirds of the time, that test is wrong. But even let's say if the test is correct, okay, and and you find out prenatally that your baby has a problem, why end the baby's life early? that baby is going to be in your womb and receiving all the nutrition and all the care that you could possibly give that baby. And you are a parent at that point. And you are allowing your body to give this baby nutrition and to comfort and to care for this baby. Why cut that short? Even if the baby's life may not be long afterward, that's not a reason to cut that baby's life short. And the third problem with doing a decision to terminate the life of a baby based on a test is that the tests are not always correct. As I mentioned in the article, I had a a son who had a congenital heart problem that was incompatible with life, and he died. When I was pregnant with my second son, we did testing, we did ultrasounds of his heart, and it looked again like, yep, he's got the same problem, he's going to die as soon as he's born, or shortly after. And what we decided, of course, is to let our son live for as long as God allowed him to be with us. But when he was born, he didn't have the problem. 
so the ultrasounds were wrong. And that's one thing that people need to understand is that testing is imperfect. It can give you an indication, but God determines the outcome. And so it would be better for a person who receives an adverse prenatal diagnosis to actually get at least one second opinion, if not two or three, and then think long and hard about the information that you've been given. Because it's not compassionate to kill your children. And the babies are not suffering, even though you may be told, oh, it's uh, horribly selfish of you to allow this baby's life to continue. That's a philosophical opinion. That's a eugenic opinion. That's not the compassion that we have as the body of Christ. That's not the compassion that we have as, as Lutherans who understand that we have a responsibility to help our neighbors to live. And this baby may only live for the period of time that the baby is in your womb. But that's the time that God's given you and that baby to enjoy that baby's life and to provide for your neighbor. So I would just really highly encourage parents who are going through this horribly difficult time to not do anything quickly and to get second and third opinions so that, first of all, so that you have some idea of what is and isn't true, but also take any scientific test with a bit of humility that they're not perfect. And do you want to make an irrevocable decision based on a test that isn't perfect? Are you against prenatal testing, seeing as the results often serve as a justification for abortion? No, I'm not at all against prenatal testing. I think that it's important, and especially, I myself underwent prenatal testing for my second son, not because I was going to terminate based on that test, but so that I could prepare for this baby's life, however long or short it may be. So I think that's an important function of prenatal testing. But I think when prenatal testing turns into search and destroy, then it's crossed the bounds of what good it can serve, and then it serves a purpose that's not good. So again, information is not good or evil in and of itself. It's what we do with that information. Why do we need to realize that pregnancy is going to involve suffering? Well, I think Scripture says somewhere that man is born to suffer as the sparks fly upward. I think we, as human beings in a fallen world, experience that world as suffering. And I think as we interact with our fallen human neighbors, that also is a source of suffering. So we suffer in the same way that Christ suffers. We suffer out of love and service to our neighbor. And parenthood is a kind of cross. I'll tell you, I've always been very moved by the Orthodox wedding ceremony where <laughs> the bride and groom are crowned. And I ask an Orthodox priest, well, why do they crown them? And he said, well, that's the crown of martyrdom. I just thought that was a very apropos symbol. And it, when we love someone, there is a kind of martyrdom involved. And when you as a parent take on the responsibility of parenting your child, there is a kind of suffering that's involved with that. There's a suffering of humility. There's a suffering of being up all night and changing poopy diapers and caring for them. But that suffering is a good, right, and salutary suffering. And I think that that's important that especially we as Lutherans understand suffering isn't all bad. Our culture is so enamored with pleasure and with 
lack of consequences and lack of suffering, we've made it into a God to keep all suffering out of our life, regardless of what the cost is to our neighbor. And I think as Lutherans, we have to step back and say, hey, wait a minute, I'm not here to have pleasure my whole life. I'm here actually to do the right thing and to be molded into the image of Christ. And Christ did not reject the cross because of the suffering. He embraced the cross because he knew the joy that was set before him. So he endured the cross and despised its shame. And we, we also are here to see in the suffering that we've been given for our neighbor that same kind of joy, you know, the joy that's set before us. We endure that suffering. So I just, you know, really hope to be able to communicate that kind of a, of a thought to parents who are suffering with these adverse prenatal diagnoses and to let them see that there is a joy There's a joy in loving this little baby who is their son or daughter for as long as God gives them that chance. Some assert that denying a woman elective abortion will put her mental health at risk. How do you respond? Well, there's not a shred of evidence that that's true. In fact, there are a lot of studies that show that women who abort, even unwanted, unplanned pregnancies, have an increased risk of suicide, drug abuse, and hospitalizable major depression. Because women are hardwired to bond to their babies. One of the saddest papers I ever read was a, a paper that described women's behavior while they were in an abortion clinic waiting for the abortion. Most of them actually rubbed their abdomens and talked to their baby. Now, what that tells me is that women know that there's a child inside, and they also know that the abortion is going to end the life of that child. And that's something that doesn't make a person happy. So when you see that women know that their child is within their womb, women are not choosing to abort like they want an abortion. Most women who end up with an abortion are aborting not because they don't want a child. They're aborting because of economic reasons. They're aborting because their boyfriend is not wanting the child. In fact, there's one study by CareNet that showed that over a third of the women who abort, abort because of partner-related reasons. And in some studies, that's been as high as 55%. So you've got complex social problems that lead a woman to an abortion. And we should offer women better than just killing their child to solve a social problem. Dr. Donna Harrison is our guest, board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist, executive director of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and author of a column for the January edition of The Lutheran Witness titled Compassionate Abortion, or Responding to Arguments for Compassionate Abortion. When we come back, why does the abortion industry distort the truth about both pregnancy and abortion? Listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season, lutheranpublicradio.org. Deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care, and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. 
Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at lcms.org slash deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love, remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. LCMS Deaconess Ministry, lcms.org slash deaconess. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. What does anthropology or the science of mankind, the study of mankind, have to do with Christmas? Well, it has everything to do with Christmas. As the December issue of The Lutheran Witness points out, to understand what man is and what it means to be man, we don't look to other men, but to Jesus Christ, the man. To subscribe to The Lutheran Witness, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Where doctrine is life. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Christ Lutheran, Jackson, Mississippi. Faith Lutheran, Plano, Texas. Glory of Christ Lutheran, Plymouth, Minnesota. Lamb of God Lutheran, Papillion, Nebraska. Lord of Life Lutheran, Plano, Texas. Redeemer Lutheran, Fort Wayne, Indiana. St. John Lutheran, Forest Park, Illinois. St. Paul Lutheran, Hamill, Illinois. Trinity Lutheran, Louisville, Minnesota. And Zion Lutheran, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. We're responding to arguments for so-called compassionate abortion with Dr. Donna Harrison. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. You can help us defend life from beginning to end by making a year-end tax-deductible donation to support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. Any size gift is deeply appreciated. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. You can also donate by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Thanks for listening, and thanks for including Issues Etc. in your year-end giving. Dr. Harrison, why does the abortion industry feel the need to distort, confuse, and lie about both pregnancy and abortion? Uh, because the one discussion that the abortion industry doesn't want to have is what is an elective abortion. An elective abortion is the purposeful killing, feticide, of this unborn child. That is the purpose of an elective abortion. It's to make sure that this baby is separated from the mom and comes out dead. And just as an example of that, if you have a woman who has a elective abortion at 32 weeks and the baby comes out alive, what is it? It's a failed abortion. 
the separation of the mom and the baby did not fail to occur. What failed to occur is that the baby failed to die. So it, it makes it crystal clear the purpose of an abortion, and they don't want to talk about that. What they want to do, and what they have successfully done since Dobbs, is to confuse and throw as much blinding snow as possible into the conversation. So it's been absolutely ridiculous to say that a woman can't be treated for an ectopic pregnancy in a state that bans elective abortion. Ectopic pregnancy treatment is not an elective abortion, and neither is miscarriage treatment, because in a miscarriage, the baby's already died. And also, when there, there are tragic times where we do have to separate a mom and a baby in order to save the mother's life, and sometimes it happens before the baby can survive outside the mom, we know that happens. Every OB-GYN has had to do this. But the reason that we separate the mom and the baby at those gestational ages where the baby can't survive outside is because if we don't, we'll lose the mom and the baby. And if we do, we'll unfortunately lose the baby. But when we have to do those kinds of separations as an OB-GYN, you do your best possible to try to make sure that you deliver this baby intact. Why? So that the mom can wrap the baby and hold the baby and say goodbye and the dad and the brothers and sisters and whoever else is there because this baby is a son or daughter or brother or sister or grandchild to their grandmother or grandfather. This baby is in relationship to other people in the family. And by treating this baby's body with respect, we acknowledge the fact that these parents are parents. Even if the baby's died, they are still parents to this child. And this child is a human being with all the dignity and respect that we should give to a human being even when they die. So that's why we have a difference between an elective abortion for which the purpose is to kill that baby and separations where we're trying to save as many people as we can. If we could save both the mom and the baby, we would do it. But there are cases where we do have to separate the mom and the baby and the baby will not survive. As a physician, how do you respond to the very common assertion that abortion is medical care? Well, abortion is not medical care. Abortion doesn't treat any disease. And by abortion here, again, we're talking about elective abortion, which is a procedure which is done for the purpose of feticide, the purpose of killing the human being in the womb, making sure that human being does not come out of the womb alive. That's what we're talking about when we say abortion. Abortion, is not, that's not medical care. Medical care treats disease. It takes a person who's sick and makes them healthy. But pregnancy is not a disease. And this baby is not a disease either. This baby is another human being in a location located inside the mom's womb, but still a human being. And so there is no aspect of elective abortion that promotes life. What it does is it promotes death, and it promotes suffering, and it promotes long-term damage to the mom, and, of course, ends the life of the baby. Dr. Donna Harrison is a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist. She's executive director of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists. She's associate scholar for the Charlotte Lozier Institute and author of a column for the January edition of the Lutheran Witness magazine titled Compassionate Abortion. You'll find a link to the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists at issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Dr. Harrison, thank you very much. Thank you very much. 
It's listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line when we return. Our email address, talkback at issuesetc.org and the comment line, 618-223-8382. Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection is the perfect Christmas gift for children, grandchildren, and godchildren ages 5 through 9. This new resource is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. You can also purchase Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December, Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection, 1-800-325-3040 or issuesetc.org. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with the centurion's servant, the widow of Nain, John's question, none greater, and the sinful woman, part one. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for the word of the Lord endures forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Providing artillery support for the church militant on the front lines, you're listening to Issues Etc., For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. This is what we believe and confess at Grace Lutheran Church in Rochester, Minnesota. And we apply this verse through the reverent, joyful, and traditional divine service. If you live in Rochester or are visiting, we invite you to join us for the divine service on Sunday at 9 a.m. or Wednesday at 6 p.m. Our website is gracebythelake.org. Memoria Press is a family-run publisher of classical Christian education materials for homeschools and private schools. Every page of the Memoria Press curriculum leads students to a mastery of content, an understanding of the classical heritage of the Christian West, and an appreciation of truth, goodness, and beauty. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. memoriapress.com.